From VT Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, students across Vermont returned to school on Tuesday for the first time since the onset of the coronavirus in March. It took months of preparation for schools to be able to open their doors again. Now, educators and families are waiting to see what happens next. Hello? One of those educators is Barbara Pennington. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. I know you've probably had a a pretty busy week. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's for sure. (laughs) Barbara teaches sixth grade math and science at the West Rutland School. And this is my fourth year at this school. Got it. How long have you been a teacher? Um, I've been a teacher, this is my 17th year. Oh, wow. (laughs) So you've seen a lot of first days of school. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. How was it different this year? Um, well, I mean, things are obviously very different this year. Um, you know, all the students obviously need to wear masks. We're trying our best to socially distance children. In our school, we also have plastic dividers that each student sits behind. In our school also, we are using a hybrid model where they are in person on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then they are remote on Wednesdays. So definitely different than a normal school year. Yeah. I wonder if you would take me back to, I know there's been a lot of planning over the course of the summer, and I'm curious, before this week, how did you think things were going to go? Um, I did not think they were going to go smoothly. I anticipated... Um, mass chaos. (laughs) And I thought it was going to be, you know, really stressful and upsetting, I guess. Um, But that wasn't the case. What do you mean? How did it go? Um, So leading up to the first day, I was almost dreading coming back to school. And, you know, I've never had that feeling. And I'm sure students, you know, were having that feeling too, because there are so many unknowns. Um, But when I left school on Tuesday, the first day of school, it, it was great. I mean, the students, they did really well with wearing masks. They needed lots of reminders of social distancing, but it felt, um, it just really felt wonderful to be in person with students. And um, it felt more the same than it did different, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. Yeah. When you say you were dreading it, what were you dreading? Um, well, I also have... I have students in person, I have students remote, so teaching them simultaneously while also enforcing social distancing and mask wearing and working with children that have not been in a physical school for six months. I just thought it was going to be extremely overwhelming, and it really wasn't. It really all just kind of fell into place. Students are so happy to be here. Um, I was happy to be here, and... The team I work with, my colleagues are fabulous, and we really, you know, all help each other out. And, you know, we're all in it together. It's not like I'm an island and I have to deal with all these obstacles by myself. Um, there's, I mean, teachers all over the country and students all over the country are dealing with this. So right. um, in some ways, it brings the community closer together. Hmm. Barbara's situation does get a little more complicated. She has a son at home, Xander, a third grader. And he goes to school in a different district, or rather, doesn't go to school. His classes are entirely remote. Our reporter Emma Cotton was there on Tuesday when Xander and his dad Matt were logging into his first virtual class. <laughs> Trying to find the chat link. 
Yeah. He's got better than most. He gets built-in IT support, yeah, so if he has any issues. <laughs> Matt works from home, so he's handling childcare and tech support during the day. So she sent a link, and it has a class code if there's a place where you can just plug that in. No, I think that's true. Get the um, class thing. Okay, this is a class, a Google Classroom invite. Yeah, I have other things. Okay. Oh, there it goes. Barbara said she's optimistic about how all this will go for Xander. He's pretty motivated and a self-starter, so you know he likes to do schoolwork, and you know he's doing quite well. He, you know, I think he's. Really, well, I know he's missing, you know, the social aspect of school. But as far as academics, I think he'll be fine this year. What is it like seeing this from two different sides? You know, seeing how it's going with your hybrid district and then seeing how he's working entirely online. What does that look like in your household? Um, It's, it's definitely interesting. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I am up and leave before my husband's awake. My son is, you know, just barely, you know, thinking about breakfast and I'm out the door. They, you know, they don't have any, you know, transportation time. And also I, of course, get to my classroom before my students do. So I, on purpose, I'm here early, but it's interesting. And on like the first day of school, for me as a mom, I didn't, you know, I knew my child was safe. I knew he was home. I, you know, didn't really have to think much about what was going to happen with him and I was I could really focus on what my job was as a teacher keeping other children safe. I wonder you know do you see any disparities between the way that he's learning versus the way that your students in your classroom are learning? I mean the way school is naturally designed is for students to be in person. Um, I think ideally that's probably the best situation and you know, in the perfect world, that's what everyone wants is for kids to be here in person. You know, that's just the best way I think that students learn. So, you know, it's tricky doing it remote and you're not getting, I don't think you're getting as much when you're doing it remotely. Everyone's trying their best and they're trying to make the most of it. But, you know, teachers and students, I think in the ideal situation would want to be in person in school. Um, I understand why there's reasons to be remote and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I don't trust their decision. I think everyone makes the best decision they can for their district and we just go with it. <laughs> yeah. You have a really admirable degree of flexibility. <laughs> well, you have to. <laughs> yeah. You have to be flexible. So what happens now? What do the next few months look like? Um, well, as far as, you know, unless things change, just keep marching forward. My son, last I heard, their district is saying remote until at least the beginning of November. Um, our school, I, I understand, I think the whole state of Vermont is what they call level two. Um, if it moves to a level three, we may be going to five days in person. Um, but I also understand it could go the opposite way where, you know, if things don't go as well, you know, we could go fully remote again. So there's a lot of unknowns, I think, in the future. I, I just <laughs> try to just go, take it day by day and try to prepare myself for for anything, if, you know, if anything, the spring taught us, I um, overnight put together three weeks of plans for my students. So I, I basically just stayed up 24 hours and <laughs> got that all together because originally, as you probably remember, we were only supposed to be closed for three weeks in the spring. So right. 
overnight, I got that all together and had it for my students that Monday morning, um, which was kind of crazy, but that taught me that um, I'm capable to, <laughs> to do things like that. And, you know, you have to be flexible and just roll with it. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? We heard something similar from educators across the state on Tuesday. They don't really know what's ahead, but they're relieved to have made it this far. Okay. All right. How are you feeling this morning? I'm excited. I mean, we haven't been in school for six months, so uh, it's time to get kids back in the building. And we've done the job here in Vermont to be able to get them in. So. This is our education reporter, Lola DeFort, talking to Stephen Dellinger-Pate, the principal at U32 in East Montpelier, before students got off the bus on Tuesday. Uh, how much more complicated was planning for this first day of school versus, you know, all of the other first days of school? Oh, it's infinitely more complicated. So it's just everything is so much more complicated in terms of schedules and how do we do meals, you know, everything. Things that we never thought about before school started because we just did them. And so, yeah, it's been crazy. My first impressions from being out in the field um, was that things went went pretty well. They went according to plan. He's going to walk in, try to maintain as much social distance as possible. It's time to start school. There was some anxiety and also some relief. I felt from teachers and from students. It feels very different. Just like seeing everyone in maths and seeing people I haven't seen since March. It's crazy. (laughs) There are all of these health and safety precautions that schools are expected to take. They're supposed to implement social distancing, masking. You know, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. Kids are having to report whether or not they have any symptoms before they enter school. Their temperature is being taken every day. I'm going to take your temperature. temperature. 98.0. Do you know where you're headed? So there are all of these mitigation measures that have to be implemented. The way that we do school this year, the way we're doing school this year, is 100% different than what we did last year. Renee DeVore is the principal at Montpelier High School. It's just going to take time. It's going to take time for all of us just to adapt. It's just like even coming in and not having all the the excitement and the laughter and like the high fives, right? Like usually I'm like giving high fives to students as they walk up and now I'm taking their, you know, taking their temperature. Something that really, you know, struck me too, just being out there and also from the reports that we got from other reporters who who went to schools, including in in Burlington and the Northeast Kingdom was just the the variety um, of what school looks like right now, you know. Hmm. Hybrid plans are themselves not the same. So Montpelier is doing this model where, at least at the high school, they have half the student body coming in in the morning and then the other half coming in in the afternoon. And there's a deep clean period in the middle of that. U32 is having uh, different cohorts of kids in on alternating days. Both are having middle school students, though, in person, full-time, if families so choose to. So, you know, hybrid looks so different in different places across the state. When you say that administrators and teachers were describing feeling relieved, what do they mean by that? I, I think it, it's been really hard for educators to be away from kids for so long. Um, that disconnection has been 
really difficult, has made teaching really difficult. Not that the hybrid model, which you know, a majority of schools have adopted is does not come with its own set of difficulties. And if anything, um, you know, teachers face this task of having to basically do their job twice, once in person and once remotely. And the mechanics of that are very complicated and not easy to manage. But I, I think that there was a certain amount of joy in seeing kids again for a lot of teachers, as well as a trepidation, right? Because we're going back to school in a global pandemic, and we don't fully know how well this is this is going to go. You know, this is so new to them. So they're, I think that they're absorbing um, the newness of this. And I think some of them were also anxious coming to school and feeling like, I want to be back, but also anxious about coming back and what that's going to look like. I think there's just a lot of feelings attached to this, not just for our students, but our, our staff as well. Yeah. There's been no national strategy about how to reopen schools, and there's been no state strategy about how to reopen schools. And by and large, districts have had to decide for themselves what the best course of action is and that's and that's been really difficult that's been that's been a huge ask for superintendents who are themselves not public health experts uh, and they've just had to make the call that they thought would work best students are entering the building beginning to enter the building at this time now that students are back what are the ramifications of all of these districts having different plans Well, the biggest ramification is that hybrid learning in general creates a new childcare gap, right? Because if your kid is in school only three days a week, two days a week, what do you do with them when they're remote learning if you're a working parent, especially if that child is young? Um, So hybrid learning kind of creates that problem for families. And that problem is amplified if you, say, have children in different districts or say you are a teacher in District A that has one schedule, and your child goes to school in another district and has another schedule. So what do you do if you're a teacher who's expected to be, you know, teaching in person at the same time as your own child is remote learning? Right. So often we think of parents and teachers as different categories in here, but there's actually a lot of overlap. Right, exactly. And the state has tried to come up with a response to that, you know, to their credit. Uh, as soon as this became an obvious unintended consequence of of hybrid learning and also the mix of different schedules across the state, state officials did try and and provide a solution to that. Um, and that's been these child care hubs that they're trying to stand up um, using some federal relief um, dollars, about $12 million. The problem with that is that, A, it's you know, a question of whether or not we can staff them, uh, and B, these hubs are going to cost families money. So now families that were sending their kids to public school, which is of course free, face the choice of having to keep their kids at home, maybe forego their own income, or pay for childcare, which is obviously very difficult. And then there's the general availability of of these childcare slots, right? Are we going to actually be able to provide enough of them given the staffing issues? that the child care industry, the workforce shortages that the child care industry already faces. Right. These seem like really big questions. And it strikes me that school is already in session. You know, if families are dealing with those conflicts, they're dealing with them now. It is a problem that this hasn't been figured out ahead of time. Um, at the same time, 
everyone's been kind of discovering unintended consequences as they've been coming up with solutions. Everything is unprecedented. So I don't necessarily, you know, blame the state for finding a solution that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And that is coming so late in the game, because everyone is just trying to recreate basic institutional functions overnight, right? Like to create right. an entirely new childcare system within three weeks is is a pretty tall order. But you're right. I mean, the situation has been untenable for families and continues to be untenable for a lot of families. That is absolutely a problem, which is not to say that solutions that come late won't necessarily help, right? I think people will take whatever help arrives when it does. And looking ahead, I mean, what's the long-term outlook here? You know, given that we don't really know when the virus is going to be suppressed or eradicated to a point that it doesn't create these limitations and uh, these restrictions, what does that look like for schools over the next several months? I think the thing to look for is whether or not schools move to more in-person instruction or move to more remote instruction. I think that the status quo that we're seeing right now is not going to stay this this way. There is a desire um, on the part of both the state and a lot of local districts to move to more in-person instruction. This is another turn of the spigot, and Vermont has been able to successfully you know, open the spigot up a little bit at a time um, while controlling the spread of the virus. So I think that there is definitely a possibility, there is hope that after a few weeks of this, of having kids in school um, as much as we have, that people are going to be comfortable reopening for more in-person instruction, which should alleviate the childcare problem. It is, of course, also very possible that we will see outbreaks and that schools will have to go back to a fully remote or just more remote option. We're headed into the fall. The weather is cooling. People are going to be spending more time indoors. So there is concern that a second wave could be coming and that uh, schools could be going remote again. So I think we will see whether or not this model is successful based on which which way it goes, whether or not we move to more in-person or, or less. But I don't think that this is how schools are going to look like six weeks from now. Got it. Thanks for the rundown. Thanks for talking. Bye. You can find all of Lola's reporting on the reopening of Vermont schools at vtdigger.org. And while you're there, check out Emma Cotton's full story on Barbara Pennington and her family navigating not one but two school districts' reopenings. As always, you can see all of our COVID-19 coverage at vtdigger.org coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. See you then.